Welcome to the Porter Hospital Mental Health PHP and IOP audio recording series on improving your coping skills. These audio recordings are designed to supplement material presented in the context of treatment groups and other activities in the IOP PHP. The recordings will focus on the use of cognitive behavior therapy and dialectical behavior therapy skills. Practice these skills is essential to your ability to use them to your benefit to better manage any emotional and behavioral difficulties that you might have. These recordings are intended for participants in the Porter Hospital Mental Health PHP and IOP program. These recordings are designed to supplement the material learned in groups and are not intended as a standalone treatment or a replacement for your own treatment. If you're having thoughts about harming yourself or others, please immediately contact your own treatment provider. Take yourself to the nearest emergency room or call 911. The coping skills we'll be learning in this recording come from dialectical behavior therapy. A dialectic in this case is a balance between two extremes. Some of those extremes in the dialectic might be, on one hand, someone who wants to try to avoid feeling any emotional pain whatsoever, and on the other hand, feeling overwhelmed by painful emotions. The dialectic between those two extremes that we're trying to reach here would be able to feel more emotional pain without being overwhelmed by it, and in particular, not feeling like we have to go back to some of those old coping skills to be able to avoid some of the emotional pain. We're going to be talking about some of those old coping skills in more detail in just a little bit. In DBT, we have what's called the biosocial theory that underlines all of DBT. There are obviously two components of this. The first is the biological part. In DBT, it's theorized that some people have an increased biological vulnerability towards extreme emotions. These people may feel emotional pain more intensely than other people. They seem to become more easily upset, more easily emotionally overwhelmed, feel the emotional pain much more intensely than other people, and also have a much more difficult time returning to an emotional baseline than other people seem to have. The other part of that is the sociological part. In this case, we're going to be talking about a concept known as invalidating environment. An invalidating environment is an environment in which we grow up in that tends to inhibit the expression and the feeling of emotions. One of my favorite quotes from an invalidating environment is, Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. In an emotionally invalidating environment, we're told that we shouldn't feel the way that we feel. We're told that we shouldn't show the way that we feel. That feeling the way that we feel is wrong that we shouldn't let others know about it, we shouldn't show it, we shouldn't be feeling any of those things at all. The combination of those two things makes for people that on one hand have a biological vulnerability to some pretty intense emotions, and on the other hand they're told that they shouldn't show these emotions, that they shouldn't let other people know how they're feeling, they shouldn't have those emotions. This puts people into a bind because they're overwhelmed by their emotions and don't have any way of better managing them. That's where the old coping skills come in. We learn ways at a fairly early age to be able to try to escape from some of our painful emotions. There are a lot of different ways that we do this. This is called the emotion regulation model. The things that we do are designed to emotionally stabilize us, to remove some of those painful emotions so that we're not overwhelmed by them. The old coping skills can include a number of different things, including alcohol and drugs, 
self-injury, including cutting, sexual acting out, spending money, gambling, restricting our food intake, binging and purging. There are many different ways that we can use to try to emotionally regulate. The old coping skills work. They do take an edge off of the emotional pain. If they didn't work to some extent, we wouldn't keep using them. The problem is those old coping skills make things worse in the long run instead of better. They provide some temporary relief, but in the long run they become problems in their own right and they make the situation worse. Moreover, because we don't have much of a tolerance to emotional pain, we tend to use the same coping skills over and over and over again to avoid feeling overwhelmed by our emotions. The common link in all these old coping skills is that they're designed to decrease emotional pain, to keep us from feeling emotionally overwhelmed. They work, but only in a very limited basis. If you find yourself repeating the same patterns over and over and over again, particularly the self-defeating patterns, that's the old coping skill. We tend to rely on one or just a few old coping skills over and over. What we're going to be focusing on instead is trying to decrease the use of our old coping skills and trying to increase our tolerance to emotional pain. In this recording, we're going to be discussing the use of what are called distress tolerance skills. Distress tolerance skills are exactly that, for tolerating distress, for being able to learn how to tolerate previously overwhelming levels of emotional pain without going back to those old coping skills that we tend to use to avoid the emotional pain. There are two primary goals for distress tolerance that we've already mentioned in passing. The first of those is to try to decrease the use of old coping skills. Those old coping skills we mentioned previously can include lots of different things. It can include dissociation, alcohol and drug use, cutting and other self-harm, restricting food intake, binging and purging, spending money, gambling, sexually acting out, aggressively acting out, all sorts of different things. The common things these old coping skills have in common is that they decrease the level of emotional pain. They keep us from being emotionally overwhelmed. They're effective in a short-term way. They do take some of the emotional pain away, but it's only temporary. The problem is we then avoid our painful feelings, and because we avoid them so much, we never have a chance to deal with them, to work on them directly, to effectively get rid of them, because we're so busy avoiding them with the use of our old coping skills. The second goal for distress tolerance is being able to increase our tolerance to emotional pain. If that doesn't sound like it's fun, you're right. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's an extremely difficult thing to do. But there are several reasons why we need to learn to increase our tolerance to emotional pain. For many people, they're so overwhelmed by their emotional pain that they look to using their old skills as the first option whenever they start to feel emotionally overwhelmed. When they do that, they get some temporary relief, but they keep themselves trapped in a never-ending pattern of self-defeating behavior. They use the old coping skills, again, the dissociation, the drinking, the drugging, all the other things that take temporarily some of the emotional pain away and use those so they're never able to progress past a point. Many people find themselves repeating those same patterns of self-defeating behavior over and over and over again. If we don't learn to increase our tolerance to emotional pain, 
we're always going to get overwhelmed by the same situations over and over and over again. When we talk about the decreasing the use of our old coping and increasing our tolerance to emotional pain, it sounds fairly simple and direct. It's not. It's something that takes a lot of practice and a lot of patience, and it's not a very smooth course. It's going to be difficult to give up the old coping skills because without their use, we're going to feel extremely vulnerable. We're going to feel like we're going to be overwhelmed with emotional pain to an extent that we're never going to recover from. That's not actually true, but it's going to feel that way when we first start working on trying to increase our tolerance to emotional pain and not use our old coping skills at the same time. One of the advantages of the old coping skills is that they do provide some fairly immediate relief to emotional pain. When we start using some of these new coping skills, the distress tolerance skills, they're not going to provide that same immediate relief of emotional pain as the old coping skills. It's going to be hard to give that up. But again, if you don't work on decreasing the old coping skills and increasing tolerance to emotional pain, you're not going to be able to move past that point. You're going to repeat the same patterns over and over and over again and still be in that same degree of emotional pain. When you use the distress tolerance skills, things get better. Not immediately, but things will get better. It will allow you to deal with things that have previously been overwhelming and do things differently to cope with things in the long run much better than you have been able to. Distress tolerance skills can be broken down into two subsets of skills, crisis survival skills and acceptance skills. We're going to be talking primarily about the crisis survival skills, two in particular, something called distraction and another skill called self-soothing. The two other crisis survival skills are called improve the moment and pros and cons. We're not going to be covering those as in-depth in this recording, instead staying focused on distraction and self-soothing. The first of the distress tolerance skills we're going to discuss is distraction. It goes by the acronym of Wise Mind Accepts in the DBT workbook. With distraction, what we're trying to do is occupy our attention our concentration, and our short-term memory to be able to better tolerate painful emotions without using our old coping skills. The ACCEPTS acronym stands for Activity, Contributing, Comparisons, Emotions, Pushing Away, Thoughts, and Sensations. We're going to utilize distraction while we tolerate the painful emotions of whatever situation that we're in without going to our old coping skills. The first one is activity. When we're using activity for distraction, we're doing some sort of action, some sort of activity that we can mindfully focus on to be able to get ourselves away from the emotionally overwhelming stimulus. There are many things that could be used for activity, including exercise. In fact, exercise is a good way to manage depression and to manage anxiety in addition to other painful emotions. Exercise is an excellent way to be able to distract yourself and occupy yourself. Other ways that you could use activity include possibly doing things around the house, mindfully vacuuming, mindfully washing the dishes, mindfully doing a load of laundry. I emphasize mindfully because if you're just engaged in the activity without the component of mindfulness, it's going to be hard to get yourself engaged enough to be distracted. 
you could do a load of laundry. But if you're so focused on the thing that you're upset about while you're doing the laundry, it's not going to be beneficial. It's not going to be distraction. You're not going to occupy your attention, your concentration, your short-term memory. To do things mindfully, do those activities three times as slowly as you would otherwise. When you wash dishes, slowly wash the dishes. Do things three times as slowly as you would otherwise. When you're collecting a load of laundry, do it slowly, do it deliberately, keep yourself focused on the things that are involved in that. Other activities that you can use include hobbies. Could include all sorts of recreation, but again, you need to be able to involve yourself mindfully in those activities. Our next section is contributing. The obvious contributing would be something like volunteer work. Unfortunately, it sometimes takes a long time to get volunteer work set up. You may have to go in, you may have to fill out applications, you may have to go through orientation and training. So it's not necessarily an immediately available thing that you could use for distraction. There are other forms of contributing that are much easier to do. It could include things like making dinner for somebody that you know is having some difficulty, baking cookies and donating them somewhere, shoveling somebody's walk, mowing somebody's lawn, trimming somebody's hedges, opening doors for other people. I know one person who made it a point while walking down a hallway to make eye contact with every person that he passed, to smile, to say hi, as a way of distracting himself for some troubling emotions that he was having. When you're contributing, you're moving the focus off of yourself and onto other people by doing something for other people. Our next one is comparisons. This can be a difficult one for many people. With comparisons, we have to be careful not to personalize the comparisons. Many people can look at somebody who's less fortunate than them and conclude that that homeless person, even though they're living out of a grocery cart, is doing better than I am. That's not the kind of comparison that's going to be helpful. In this case, we're going to be looking at comparisons in terms of what have other people done to get themselves through difficult situations? What skills did they use? What sort of things did they have access to that I can use for myself? My favorite example of this is an article from The Onion, a satirical newspaper, where one of the contributors to that forum said that she looked at her own life, she felt overwhelmed, but when she saw that Jennifer was handling the breakup with Brad, that she was able to see that her own problems weren't that bad and she would actually be able to handle them. She was able to use comparisons. How are other people handling things? History buffs may look and see how other people in difficult situations historically have been able to, to manage to get themselves through those situations. You may look at other people and how they handle breakups, how they handle the things going on in their lives, even serving other people to ask them, how did you get through the situation? Our next one is emotions. We're going to be using the term of opposite action for opposite emotion frequently in DBT groups and also in this recorded series. I think opposite emotion is an extremely valuable skill. You're going to have to act against the way you feel if you want to change the way you feel. By doing behaviors that are incompatible with that emotion, we no longer reinforce that emotion and we have an opportunity to change that emotion to something else that we want because humans tend to behave in very mood-congruent ways. That is, we tend to behave the way we feel. When we're depressed, our action urge is to isolate, 
is to withdraw, is to shut down. When we're anxious, our action urge is to avoid, to get away from the thing that we're anxious about. When we're angry, our action urge is to confront, is to become aggressive. But when we do those things, the emotion gets stronger. We keep ourselves cemented to it. So for opposite action, what we want to do is to act against the emotion. If we're depressed, instead of withdrawing and isolating, we want to get active. We want to get out of the house. We want to be around other people. We're going to want to do things as actively as possible. We're not going to feel like doing that. But if we wait until we do feel like doing it, we're going to be waiting a long time. This is one of those things that you have to force yourself to do. If you're anxious, instead of avoiding, you confront. You go after the thing that you're anxious about. You expose yourself to what it is that you're afraid of. If you're angry, you either gently avoid or you force yourself to be decent and kind to the other person with whom you're angry. Our next skill is pushing away. Pushing away can be a difficult one for a lot of folks because it's a fairly abstract notion. And when we're upset, we're no longer abstract. We're fairly concrete in our problem solving. An example of pushing away is recognizing that there are some situations where there's not an immediate solution to that. That no matter what we do right now, it's not going to be able to help. It's not going to be able to make a difference. So instead of continuing to ruminate about the situation, we're able to mentally push away. We can sometimes use visualization to do that. We can imagine, for instance, taking our problem putting it in a shoebox, and sticking it in the back of a closet, recognizing this is just temporary. I'm not going to avoid this forever, but right now, it's just too much. I'm going to come back to it in a fairly short time after I've had a chance to pull myself together and deal with it. Some people envision burying their problems in the backyard. Some people imagine putting it on the back burner of the stove. The idea is we're getting some space from it. We're not running away from it. We're temporarily avoiding it until we can better handle it, until we can better manage it. Our next skill is distraction through thoughts. Again, we want to occupy our attention, our concentration, our short-term memory, and we find ways to occupy our thinking to get our thinking away from the painful stimulus that's got us so upset. There are many different forms of distraction for our thoughts. It's important to realize that the more upset we are, the worse our thinking is, the more concrete our thinking is, the worse our problem solving is. So we want to tailor those distraction activities that are going to allow us to keep our attention focused when we're doing those things. If you're extremely upset, if your thinking is kind of fragmented, you want to be as basic as you can. Something that a lot of people benefit from in this case for distraction is by getting a kid's coloring book and some crayons and just sitting down and coloring. It's very basic but it's enough sometimes to be able to occupy, again, your attention, your concentration, your short-term memory for long enough to get through a difficult situation without going back to those old coping skills. Some of the more advanced ways to do that are to use things like crossword puzzle books, word search books, Sudoku, maze books, even a Where's Waldo book. A lot of people go and get kids' math books, Math workbooks, you can find those pretty inexpensively at most bookstores, that just have some basic addition, subtraction, sometimes some multiplication and division. Nothing that's going to be more complicated than what you're able to use considering the mental condition that you're in while you're upset. 
the idea again is to occupy your attention and concentration and short-term memory. If you give your brain something else to do, you're not going to be as focused on the upsetting stimulus as you were before. The final distraction skill is sensations. We're going to be talking much more about sensations when we talk about self-soothing. For the purpose of this, when we talk about sensations for distraction, we're talking about intense sensations. Intense sensations that are going to rivet your attention, that are going to change your focus, that are going to get your attention because of how intense they are. Some of those things could include eating some very spicy food, taking a hot shower, not hot enough to burn yourself, but still hot enough to be intense enough to change your concentration. Taking a cold shower, again, you're not trying to get yourself hypothermic, but what you are trying to do is have enough intense sensation to be able to change the focus of your thoughts. For people who have a tendency to use an old coping skill of cutting or self-harm, sometimes this can be an extremely beneficial one in the form of using ice to deal with those impulses to cut. When we use ice for this purpose, you get ice, you're going to need a lot of it. What you're going to do is get over a sink, and you're going to hold the ice in your hands. You're going to keep holding the ice in your hands. That ice is going to melt, you're going to get more ice, and you're going to hold it in your hands, but you're going to keep doing that. The idea behind this is, once you've done this long enough, it's going to provide a release of endorphins in your system that are going to provide the same degree of relief that cutting used to. It's not going to be as immediate, but it's going to cause the relief from emotional pain without causing any physical harm to yourself. It's something that a lot of people use and really like, that's very effective. It's something that other people use and it's either not effective or something that takes too long for them. But it is worth investigating to see if that would be a helpful adjunct to your coping skills to deal with those urges to cut and for self-harm. Again, the idea with all these distraction skills is to occupy your attention, your concentration, your short-term memory. These are going to be things that you need to practice. All these skills are going to be something that you have to practice when things are going well to have access to when things are going not well. You have to practice. If you don't practice, you're not going to be able to use the skills, and you're going to go back to those old coping skills. Practice is the key for all these skills. The next set of skills for distress tolerance that we're going to be talking about are self-soothing skills. Self-soothing skills are just that. They're skills that we're able to use to soothe ourselves, to calm ourselves down, to be able to return to a level of our emotional baseline without having to rely on the old coping skills that we usually use for that. Self-soothing can be difficult for some people. There are some people that feel guilty for using self-soothing, that they shouldn't use selfish things, and it's a bad thing to do. This is one of those things that you need to discuss with your therapist in the context of treatment if this is something that's troubling for you. Self-soothing skills can be amazingly helpful at managing emotionally overwhelming events. Again, with the idea of not using our old coping skills and building up a tolerance to those previously overwhelmingly painful emotional experiences. In self-soothing, we're going to rely on each of the five senses. Our sight, our hearing, our touch, our taste, and our sense of smell. We're going to be finding things that are going to be appealing, that are going to be soothing, relaxing, to help us feel better, to decrease the amount of physical 
over-arousal that we experience that goes along with feeling emotionally overwhelmed. For sight, we're going to find things that are soothing for us visually. There are lots of different things that we can use for this. One of those things is pictures of loved ones and family members to make sure we have access to those. And there are lots of ways that we can have access to those, to those pictures. One of those ways is to actually have the pictures. A lot of people in the program have a binder that has a plastic flap in the front that allows them to put pictures in so they have an almost constant reminder. Some people have pictures that they keep in their purse. Some people have pictures that they put on their cell phone, on their iPod, on their PDA device. But the important thing is that we have pictures there that remind us, that are self-soothing for us. When we do that, we make, need to make sure that some of those pictures that we have evoke positive memories, positive feelings. If you put in a picture of somebody that you've broken up with, divorced recently, or who has died, it may bring more disturbing, painful images and not serve the purpose of self-soothing. Some of the other ideas for soothing for vision can include pictures from your favorite vacation, pets, vacations that you'd like to take, favorite artwork, all sorts of different things that we could use for the purpose of soothing visually. Sometimes the lack of seeing can be something soothing for us if we're feeling overstimulated and overwhelmed. Sometimes having one of the black face masks that people use for sleep and just being able to close your eyes and limit the amount of visual input can be a soothing thing for some people. When we soothe with hearing, we're going to want to, again, find something that's auditorily soothing, relaxing, is not overstimulating. Music is one of the more popular suggestions that people have for self-soothing for hearing. That can be a very good thing, but again, we have to practice opposite action. When we're depressed, the urge is to listen to things that are sad, sappy love songs, that are going to wind up making us feel more depressed rather than help us get through it difficult situation, so we need to choose the music based on the mood that we're in. If we're depressed, maybe some music that's a little more invigorating, that's a little more energizing, that's going to help motivate us and get us up and going might be the way to go. If we're feeling angry, something that's slower paced might be more beneficial for us to use that way. We can also use other things. We can use sounds of nature. There are all sorts of keychains, alarm clocks, other things that have those sounds that are readily available. If we have an iPod, we can also download different things, music in addition to podcasts, in addition to even messages from other people. One of the ideas that some people have is to use their cell phone and have friends and supportive family call in and leave supportive, encouraging voicemails that they can save and listen to them later on when they're feeling kind of low or in need of a little boost. If you have an iPod or some other sort of MP3 player, you can always arrange playlists to have different kinds of music for different kinds of moods that are going to be the most beneficial for that mood. Even if you don't have an MP3 player, you can always use a CD player, having favorite CDs. You can use a tape player using favorite tapes, or even, you can even burn your own CDs or make your own mixtapes for different moods that you want to be able to work on. The next sense is touch. When we use touch for self-soothing, we want to find things that are tactily relaxing and soothing. 
there are many different things that we could use for that. Getting a hug from somebody who's supportive can be one of those ways. Playing with and petting dog, cats, any other pets that you have can be a beneficial thing as well. A lot of people get swatches of certain materials, silk, flannel, other things that they find soothing and relaxing. Uh, a lot of folks have beanie babies that have very soft, plush uh, material that's very soothing. Other people use worry stones. Other people have chime balls. Some people have silly putty, Play-Doh, clay, things like that that they can use to be able to soothe for touch. Another popular thing that people have is favorite items of clothing. Some people change fresh linens on their bed. Some people have favorite clothes that they wear. They have a pair of uh, silk pajamas, flannel pajamas that are very relaxing. But the point is we find something that's going to be soothing, that's going to be relaxing. It could be a bubble bath, could be special clothes, could be changing your sheets, could be your pet. But we find something that's going to be appealing and soothing to our sense of touch. The next is the sense of taste. A lot of people have different comfort foods, and having access to those comfort foods can be something that provides some relief, can provide some relaxation, can provide some soothing. It's important that you actually have access to those fairly easily. If you're upset and decide to use taste, but then you have to take yourself to the grocery store, it may contribute to feeling more overwhelmed and not be a particularly soothing experience. So stock up ahead of time, find foods that are soothing for you, maybe even carry some with you. We're going to be talking talking about that in a little more detail when we talk about a crisis survival kit, but have foods prepared ahead of time. Have easy access to them. Have them in your kitchen. Have them at your workplace if you need to have something that you could use for that. The final sense that we're going to be talking about is smell. There are lots of different things that can be soothing. Many people identify essential oils as something that they can carry with them, have access to, that's very soothing. Lilac, vanilla, cinnamon, all sorts of different things can be used for that purpose. Some people carry scented lotions. Some people carry different perfumes, sometimes even perfume samples that they found in magazines that they like. Some people get a piece of material that we talked about for touch, flannel or some other material, and spray on wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband's cologne or perfume onto that so they can combine the touch element with the smell element into one piece of, uh, of uh, self-soothing material. Smells can also be other things. Some people enjoy the smell of freshly done laundry. Some people enjoy the smell of a freshly cut lawn, sawdust, all sorts of different things. Find out what's soothing and relaxing for you and use that. With all these things, the important thing to remember is we're looking for that dialectic. We're looking for that balance. So we don't want to overdo things, but we do want to have enough of a soothing to be able to get ourselves through the rough spots without relying on those old coping skills. Now that we've had a chance to talk about two of the main distress tolerance skills, distraction and self-soothing, I want to talk about putting together what's called a crisis survival kit. A crisis survival kit is exactly that. It's a kit, a physical kit, that you're going to assemble to keep with you that relies heavily on distraction and self-soothing. When we talk about distraction and self-soothing earlier, we talked about things in an abstract sort of sense, different things that could be used. When we talk about a crisis survival kit, we're going to be talking about finding things we can use for distraction and self-soothing, but things that are small enough, easy enough to keep with us, 
packable enough that we can have them with us at all times. We can take them with us in our purse. We can put them in a briefcase or a backpack. We can have them at work. We can have them when we're shopping. We can have access to them at home so that no matter where we are, we have access to our material to distract and to self-soothe. The more access we have to those things, the better chance we have of catching our emotions before they get too far out of control and not rely on our old coping skills. Some things that we can use for distraction can include things like puzzles, games, word search books, crossword puzzle books, math books, things like that. We can download games onto our phones, onto a Game Boy. We can download them onto an iPod, but we can have access to several different things that we can use for distraction. We can have pictures of loved ones. We can have other things that we can use for distraction and for self-soothing. With the self-soothing, we can keep things with us again that are small and easy to take with us. For sight, again, we can use pictures, we can have postcards, we can put those on our cell phones, on our iPods, on our computers that we carry with us, so we have more immediate access to those. For hearing, we can carry our music with us, either a selection of CDs, tapes, or an MP3 player that has all those things on it ready for us to use if we need to. For touch, we can carry around small pieces of material, a beanie baby, worry stones, chime balls, all those things. For taste, we can carry a candy bar, M&Ms. We can have peppermints. We can have gum with different flavors. For smell, we can bring small bottles of essential oils. We can have scented lotions. We can do all sorts of things like that, but again, they're small easy to transport and keep with us. The idea with all these things is that we need to be more mindful of the way that we feel. As mentioned earlier, a lot of times people prefer not to be aware of how they're feeling at all. They're actively trying to keep from feeling things as much as possible, and that works up to the point where they just get completely overwhelmed and didn't see it coming. For the purpose of these skills, we want to be able to be more aware of how we're feeling, We want to be able to notice when we're starting to get upset, when it's at a lower level, and to be able to catch it using our distraction and self-soothing skills at a lower level of intensity. If we wait until we're in an emotional crisis, it's going to be hard to use any skills to manage things. If we catch those emotions at a lower level of intensity, we're able to redirect them, we're able to manage them, we're able to handle them, again, decreasing our use of our old coping skills, and increasing a tolerance to those painful emotions. But to do that, we actually have to experience some of those emotions and be aware of some of those emotions. When we can do that, we can catch them at a lower level of intensity and keep ourselves from getting overwhelmed or falling back into that same old pattern where we use those old coping skills over and over and over again. In concluding this audio recording, I want to point out again the need for practice of these skills. If you don't practice the skills when things are going fairly well, you're not going to have access to the skills when things get bad. You need to practice these things at least once a day. The more you can practice them, the better. If you wait until you're in the middle of a crisis, you're not going to remember what we've talked about. You're not going to remember what the skills are. You're not going to be able to use the skills. It's vitally important that you practice as often as possible. Carry your survival kit with you. Use the things from your survival kit on a regular basis and start practicing. When you notice yourself getting a little upset, 
Notice it. Catch it at an earlier level, at a lower level of intensity, and use your skills to be able to handle it at that lower level of intensity. The more you practice this way, the more you increase your tolerance to those painful emotions. Things that would be previously overwhelming are now bothersome, but they're not overwhelming. You can get yourself through them again without using those old coping skills. So you break that pattern. Instead of repeating the same pattern over and over and over again, you're able to move past that. You're able to manage your emotions better. You feel less overwhelmed by the painful emotions that previously had you trapped. But you have to practice the skills to do that. We hope you find these audio recordings helpful. These were designed to supplement the coping skills you've been learning in the CBT and DBT groups, not to replace those groups. We plan to add additional audio recordings in the very near future. If you have any questions, please contact your treatment coordinator.